This is the Strike Mash Boil podcast, presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week, Nick and TJ join us to talk the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2020, and we talk goals for 2021. That and more, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and I'm joined by my co-host, Phil. Marco, we've made it to 2021, and we decided to have a show where we would talk through as we, as homebrewers, as a homebrew club, made it through 2020, and what we're going to do and what our resolutions are, I guess, uh, to get through 2021. Yeah, so we've got a a lot I want to get into, um, you know, especially thinking about, you know, thinking back on to 2020. So back again with us is a vice president of the club, TJ, and the doc, Nick. Welcome back, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? So, yeah, the the big thing that, um, you know, I, I wanted us to, to really dive into is to reflect on 2020. When we, uh, TJ, uh, oh God, how many years have, have you and I been leading the club now? Four, five, four, five? It's, it's, they're all a blur. Uh, but going into 2020, before um, all of the pandemic stuff happened, uh, we had some pretty big plans for this year. Uh, we really started to create uh, some really great uh, continuity and structure around our meetings. Uh, we had some really interesting events planned between the cookout uh, escalating that, uh, hikes that we were planning, uh, Big Brew Day, another huge event we were going to do. Uh, the podcast didn't come until a little bit later, thinking about launching that. Uh, but uh, just a, a lot of really um, great, you know, learning activities that we were going to put out there for the club to continue this growth. And then everything sort of halted. Uh, So I want to, you know, just kind of go back in time, talk a little bit of, you know, some reflections on things that we did well, despite the challenges that we had Um, some things that, you know, we kind of had to figure out on the fly and maybe didn't go so hot. Uh, And then maybe some things that we learned from it, Uh, because I, I do think that we have a lot uh, to gain from a little bit of reflection in 2020, because uh, it definitely had um, the the moments that challenged our group and brought a, a lot of us together a little bit more closer than I think it would have otherwise, because we had to overcome so much adversity. So, uh, you know, don't want this to be the Marco segment. So I want to make sure that uh, we all have an opportunity to share, but uh, just some um, off the top of your head, thoughts reflecting back on 2020. My big one was the hitting the nuts of having to cancel our competition. That was one of the biggest things for me. Uh, it, I had lost so much sleep over thinking how to do it safely, and we we had a good plan, and we probably could have pulled it off at a certain point in the summer, but we just didn't want to, we didn't want to interfere with other comps timeframes. So our, our, our timeframe kind of came and went and we, we, at the time in in April, when we would have been planning it for, for June or July, we, we, we had to say no. And uh, it was really depressing come July when we realized that we could have pulled it off and uh, that that was a big thing for me. It's it's all about timing, and and that's what this really 
made me recognize is is it's really hard to look into your crystal ball and figure out you know what's going to come and 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 it's just uh it was a it was a big it was a big hit to me um so i i'm really excited to hopefully plan the next competition and to have it be bigger and better than ever and to to really um, use the lessons we learned from this year and to potentially, you know, may, maybe make it a little bit more interactive and may, may, I have a lot of ideas, so I don't want to share them. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we um, you know, we, we started the year off normal, right? We, our, uh, for people not in the club and people listening, uh, our fiscal year is February through January. So we actually don't celebrate our club's year end until January. And that's just because of the craziness of holidays. It's hard to, you know, we, we all have lives and jobs outside of the club. So uh, January gives us a little bit of breathing room to kind of close things out. And so we had our normal closeout crazy um, year end um, event that's usually hosted at my place. Uh, we gave away the brewer of the year. Uh, like we normally do the trophy mike switzer was brewer of the year this year so things seemed pretty normal so we had no reason to think that the competition wasn't going to happen as it would i think it was march 23rd 20 yeah yeah right around right around there is when uh when you know we, we we had we had a meeting actually february's meeting was at nick's place and so uh, we had heard about this virus that was going around. Um, we actually, I remember joking and and kind of busting people's chops to say, hey, don't worry, guys, we're having a meeting. Nick's going to sanitize everything. Just kind of just bullshitting, be like, oh, no big deal. Like this little flu thing that's going around, like how naive we were at that point, right? We get together. We had 20 people there. It was a big meeting. We had 20 in, guys in there. Nick's kitchen, which yeah, is all and, of like and, 10 and by 10. Merrimack Valley magazine was there snapping photos. Right. So, so they, they did that whole thing. So again, everything's seeming pretty normal. March 23rd comes Baker shuts it down. And that's when we, I think we made the call in early April. Cause we're like, all right, we're not going to have a comp or we're not going to have a comp when we normally do it because the, the planning was just so uncertain at that time. So we delayed it. We said, going to happen in the fall. And again, not knowing what was going on, we were optimistic that we're going to be able to pull some of that. We had no idea that this was going to drag out the way that it did. I mean, it was, uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I think we were optimistic that we were just going to, things would be done. It's, it was it was four months away. We were like, all right, you know, things will be wrapped up by then. We got plenty of time to figure it out. We delay it. We're like, all right, you know, what's the chances this is really going to go on through November, right? But how's that going to happen? And then lo and behold, just kept just plugging away and things getting better and then getting worse and just the the roller coaster that everybody at this point knows about. Um, so it, it definitely sucked. And we did, TJ, learn that, yeah, sure, we could have pulled it off. Uh, we did see some really great examples of other clubs that did pull off successful competitions and now, who knows what you know this year 2021 is really going to have for us as in terms of the pandemic there's some really encouraging stuff going on but we don't really know but we've got some stuff in our back pocket now if we need to do anything definitely i would just i would just follow up on that um i'll be curious i mean normally our competitions are middle of july and when we had rescheduled to september we had even discussed maybe even moving it permanently to the fall 
due to the fact that, you know, having the middle summer has its advantages. Um, you're not competing with other competitions. It's pretty rare people have competitions in the middle of the summer. It has its big disadvantages. Everyone goes on vacation in the summer. It's really hard to get judges and, and people um, available to volunteer, help out for the competition. So um, it's something we, I don't think we've talked about yet, um, but maybe it's something we could talk about at some point is whether or not we do want to permanently move it to September. And I'm just looking ahead at 2021. I know that projections are that vaccines will be available late spring for most people. However, you know, you're still kind of, you know, that's, that's the best case scenario. And if we still have it in July, you know, maybe it would work out, maybe not. Um, so, but it, it's similar to last year. It's a wait and see kind of thing. You know, we just have to wait and see how things go and, and kind of make that call. But um, just to touch upon what TJ said, I mean, yeah, that was, that was the biggest loss. We take a lot of pride in our competition. Um, you know, Massachusetts has a lot of homebrew clubs. Um, I think there's only two that put on competitions and we're one of them. And the other one's the big Boston club. So we, we put a lot of pride in that, um, and we absolutely love it. And that was really heartbreaking that we had to cancel that. Yeah, the big Boston club that shall remain nameless. <laughs> because I don't have any sort of gripe with those guys at all. And I, I think that's one of the things, again, coming out of what we've experienced in 2020, that I think ultimately is going to be positive. We're going to talk about goals for 2021, and the competition is going to be one of them that we're, we talk about uh, a, a little bit later in this podcast. Um, but, you know, one of the other things I wanted to kind of hone in on in this conversation is, you know, we went from, and, and, you know, throughout the year, we went from in-person meetings to saying, all right, guys, we've got to make the call. We can't do them anymore um, to then doing these weekly Zoom calls, right? So we still wanted to have the connection. We still wanted to um, you know, have that outlet. We were, you know, I, I know people like to use the word quarantine. We weren't in quarantine. I mean, you could still leave your house, right? Like you weren't totally isolated, but you had really limited ability to get out there and interact with people. So, so we still kept those meetings going. Um, then there was like a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. We opened up our in-person meetings again. We, we get to, to have a, a couple of them, three of them we had, uh, or four was it four? Yeah, I think we had four of them, and then we start seeing the numbers uh, with COVID going in, in uh, the wrong direction, and we're see we see the governor start to tighten some things up, uh, and then ultimately I made the call that we were going to just say, you know what, during the winter months, uh, it's really difficult for us to do in person meetings inside a house, and then uh, you know really put on proper social distancing practices and prop, proper safety guidance like we had done outdoors. So we, we put off all meetings until March. So we're, we're here in January. We still haven't met in person. We still got a couple of months at a minimum before we meet in person again. But, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, how you guys felt going from, I know TJ was sort of impacted by the lack of the in-person stuff. We've had a lot of conversation about um, just that, desire to have that human connection in person. Um, so, you know, I'm curious how you guys felt we handled it. Was there anything that you guys felt like, ah, oh, well, I wish we did it different. I wish we did it better. Um, or anything that you guys think we just nailed. I think the jump to going to the zoom meetings back in, uh, April, um, <clears throat> we were on a, a, a weekly stretch there and, um, it was fascinating to to meet and talk with people that in some cases don't always make it out to 
to the meetings, but they were able to give us an hour on a, on a Friday night or a Thursday night, whatever it was, um, come on and join and chat. And it was cool to see faces hadn't seen in quite a while. Um, we were able to bring on some guests to our Zoom meetings, which was really cool. We had a homebrew association join us and talk about um, homebrew con and, and the national homebrew competition. We we had the the ladies from Imperial Yeast come on and talk to us about uh, their products and how awesome they are. Um, and I think I, I thought we were able to. It was really great to be able to connect to everybody. Um, through zoom and but i think by by june i think we all started getting a little bit of zoom fatigue between maybe being on zoom all day at work and then another couple hours with the guys granted we were drinking beer and then scotch o'clock at 10 or 11 or whatever um but uh now we're back to the zoom meetings we're doing them every other week and i think that's a, a much nicer cadence um especially you know with the zoom fatigue from work um but i you know, I really hope we keep up some version of that, even when we're back to in-person meetings. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the talks, the chats. We've done some, um, not just the Imperial and, and uh, HomebrewCon, but we've had our own presentations inside the club, um, trying to expand uh, knowledge and, and share uh, education you know, through the club itself. Well, and I think we've got a couple of unique things um uh, that I, I think encourage us to, uh, you know, want to keep going with Zoom, uh, and you know, it, it's pretty, it's remarkable. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to steal a motto from somebody else, but I, I really love the motto. It's um, people join our club for homebrewing and beer, but they stay for the people. And and honestly, we've got members that have moved really far away that are still members and they still want to be members, even though they know they're not coming to meetings and, and our connection point with those folks uh, can keep going by doing these virtual meetings. Yeah, it's definitely gotten easier to yeah. keep in, in contact. Just to put it in perspective, one guy's in Ohio. <laughs> I know. And, and has no, has no interest in not being a part of our club, which is uh, a, you know, a testament to, uh, the great community that we've built within our membership. Uh, but, um, you know, more importantly, it's we now have these outlets that, you know, we didn't have before or didn't think of before uh, that we can stay connected with these folks and their membership to the club still has value. They're not just engaging with us in social media. They can have uh, a meeting with us in person and it can still be educational and they can still talk beer or it can just be a social time for them to, to interact with some old friends. And we've seen all of those things in our Zoom meetings, which I think is pretty incredible. In the same Zoom meeting. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, they, they, they can be a marathon. You know? <laughs> uh, they, you know, these three, four, five-hour um, meetings. But, yeah, we go through those segments. And, and it's not deliberate. It's natural um, that we can entertain ourselves or each other for four or five hours virtually, um, and, and still offer guidance, um, still offer advice, um, still, you know, share tasting notes on things that we're, we've brewed, uh, or things that we've tried commercially that are available to others. It's, it, it is pretty remarkable. And, and I think that that's shown that's a really useful tool for us and allows us to, to continue to engage with our members that 
aren't in our backyards anymore. And even Merrimack Valley, like for those that don't know, we, we, we call our hometown Lowell. Merrimack Valley is not a small area. It's a pretty large area. So it's also not easy when we do an in-person meeting in Newburyport for our folks in Everett or, uh, you know, that are further away to, to make it up there. Um, so there are circumstances where, um, you know, just even the people that are local can't make it to in-person meetings. And again, it gives them an opportunity for us to engage. Marco, one thing that I want to add to this conversation was uh, a lot of people that don't know this, but I have extreme anxiety about certain things. I'm a little bit anxious. And one thing that I was very anxious about was the food at meetings. And our, our first couple meetings, we didn't do food. And then, and then someone had the great idea of like bringing chips, like uh, individually wrapped chips. And, and that was kind of good because you kind of need to eat. And like the first one, I think everybody brought their their own food yeah, and we kinda, food, yeah. and we kind of we, we were we were spaced well more well over six feet apart when we were eating and stuff but uh we did pull off and i was really terrified of it we did pull off a cookout and rick cooked an amazing uh you know barbecue that day and we all had gloves on when we got our food and masks and everything and and I think we just killed it as far as how to do that safely outside. And um, I, I was really impressed with that because not only was the food to die for, I just missed that about the club. I think that's one real strength of our, our, our club was, was some of our meetings are more culinary food-wise than they are beer-wise. And, and I miss that because I'm a foodie. Um, so, so that, that was like, that was uh, healing for me this summer, because as you said, it has been really hard for me, that social interaction, like the fact that I haven't touched beards with Marco in like almost a year now, you know, like, I, I feel like my beard is a little bit, uh, it's, 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 it's feels neglected. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what the fuck to say to that. <laughs> Uh, you, TJ's spilling all of our secrets on these podcasts. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like, I, you know, the, the, some of the private moments TJ is supposed to be just for us. Uh, I will say, though, as it pertains to the planning for those meetings, they uh, so you had the anxiety of whether or not we pull it off. I had, um, you know, the, the stress of, you know, anybody who's on our Facebook page doesn't know this, but if you're friends with people individually, um, that are part of our club, you would know that we have some really different views on either the political climate, the pandemic, uh, just some very different perspectives. And it's amazing how we have this group of individuals that come together and uh, respect one another and are really friendly and cordial. But when you're putting on uh, uh, a meeting in the midst of a pandemic and are setting some really strict rules about when you can wear a mask, how to wear, not how to wear a mask, but when masks are required, where you can stand, where you can walk. When you get food, you got to put on a mask, you got to put on gloves, you got to go through the line, you got to dispose of your gloves, you got to bring your stuff back to your uh, station, eat. Like we set up some pretty straight, like sanitizing bottles before you're going around. Everyone's going to wear masks when beer is being poured, bring your own glass, bring your own chair. That you know, I, I, I worried a little bit about pushback or that rebel that would have gone to a meeting and just not followed the rules. And there wasn't a single person in the four meetings that we had during all this 
uh, that we had to have that conversation with to say, dude, get your shit together. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't have to ask anybody to leave. We didn't have to tell somebody to put their mask on. Everybody was on the same page and respectful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it helps that, you know, you're a dictator. And how you, <laughs> uh, quote me, you look like Fidel Castro right now with the, the beard. So, um, you know, Ooh, Again, yeah. Yeah. like I'm trying to put on a show here. So people think it's all sunshine and rainbows so that I can suck them into the cult. And you're going around telling everybody all the, the dirty secrets. <laughs> I thought that's what the podcast is for. Spread the word. <laughs> the tell all that you're supposed to yeah. do that like either after i'm dead or when you guys finally um throw a coup and get me out of here we're trying <laughs> i think he uh i think he offered to give up his spot and we all said no 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 you're doing a great job no no well i mean well, we all recognize how much work he puts into it so we we poke fun at him but uh i mean you know marco he's not gonna talk about this but um there's it, a lot there's a lot more work to put in this on than you know he he kind of puts forth so yeah uh you know uh, in full disclosure uh 2020 was going to be my last year as the president um i did say I, I was going through some stuff that i thought maybe it was time to hang him up and uh when COVID happened I, you know and i said this to tj i'm like if it were going to be my last year it can't now because i can't go out on this this type of year like it's just not going to happen so um you know, the guys decided they'd keep me around for at least one more and we'll see where it goes. But uh, I'm feeling much more clear headed now today than I was, you know, a year ago. But um, we're, uh, you know, optimistic that things will be continue to be great. All right, guys. So honestly, I mean, 2020 was kind of crazy, kind of a roller coaster year. And um, you know, thankfully, we're, we're, we've seen some vaccines approved. We're starting to see them uh, getting distributed in uh, the United States. And it looks like, you know, maybe we'll get back to some normal stuff, uh, particularly our next big event, which is uh, Big Brew Day, which happens the first weekend in May every year. Uh, and that's an awesome event for the club. So hopefully we'll be back on track for that. As I mentioned earlier, we're not meeting in person until March the earliest. Uh, and that's again up in the air too. But um, it was a crazy year. I appreciate all that you guys have done for the club in 2020 and looking forward to uh, figuring it out for 2021 with you guys too. All right. Time for this week's beer review. Each week, we're going to review a beer submitted to us by a member of the Merrimack Valley homebrew club or from one of our listeners. Our guest judge is going to walk us through the judging process as if this were a homebrew competition. And all they know is the category of the beer, which this week is 20 a American Porter. Yeah, we've got the doc back with us to judge this week, uh, so let's get into it. Uh, Nick, let's get started with the description of an American Porter. Yeah, uh, so 20A is the uh, category number for American Porter, and I believe the 2008 guidelines, this was actually called Robust Porter, and so they the new name is American Porter. I think it's to kind of make it a little bit more sense for most people, but basically what it, American Porter is, it's it's sort of a um, evolution of the English Porter on a more American palate. And so as you can imagine, it's a more, um, uh, a bigger Porter in, in every regards, both uh, uh, sort of the roastiness, uh, the hoppiness, um, and generally the drier, it's, it's drier than uh, a, a traditional English brown Porter. Um, so yeah, pour it right to the glass right away. Um, very dark. Um, I don't think I see any light through it. So um, very dark beer has that tan head. 
um, pretty good retention, good lacing in the glass. So it's, it's a beautiful looking beer. It looks like a porter to me, an American porter. Um, oh, Nick, you, you, you got to help me out here, okay? Because I think the obvious question that people are thinking about when they're drinking a porter, and sometimes I have difficulty figuring this out for myself too, is what the hell is the difference between a porter and a stout? It's a really good question, and there are debates that go on forever in regards to this. And so I'm not going to take one side or the other because I don't want people to email me and, and tell me I'm wrong. I'm a, I'm a complete idiot, even though I probably am. But um, there is there is historical differences. Um, I, the, the first thing that comes to mind, I know, um, uh, for people who don't know, uh, Ron Pattinson is sort of a beer historian. Um, he has a blog called Shut Up About Barkley. Perkins. And he, he, he's talked about this multiple times, sort of the difference between the two. And I believe his conclusion is there really isn't a big difference. Um, the divergence has sort of happened at some point. Um, according to BJCP, stouts are generally a little bit bigger and more sort of um, generally a little, little bit more roastier than uh, a porter. And that's generally due to the inclusion of something like roasted barley. Um, porters generally will have black patent malt or black malt. Um, but again, you can see the opposite. So, you know, there's stouts that can have all black port or all black patent malt and no roasted barley and vice versa. So that's not, those aren't, you know, um, uh, set in stone. Um, but they are pretty similar. Um, and you could probably enter this in the stout category and you'd probably get very similar comments. Um, so yeah, it's a good question. There are subtle differences if you look at PJCP, but they they are subtle. And as we all know, with dark darker beers, it's much easier to hide flaws and stuff like that. So it's much harder to pick out certain things that distinguish between the styles. Yeah, I mean, pouring this in the glass, like you you gave a pretty good description of how this poured. And if you told me this was an American stout, I'd say sure. The only thing that maybe was an indicator that it was something different is carbonation level for me in on the pour. I haven't tasted it yet, but on the pour, it looked a little high. Um, but other than that, I, I'm looking at this in the glass. I'm like, all right, stout porter. I have no effing idea. I, I could be drinking either and be in this and, and not now. Yeah. I mean, you can't tell a difference appearance wise. There's just, there's really no way. Uh, I mean, it's only, it comes down to the, the nose and the taste. So, um, yeah, let's do that right now. So the, the aroma itself, it's pretty interesting. Um, there's definitely a roast component, but I'm getting a pretty strong fruit component to it, um, tropical fruit specifically. Um, I get like pretty strong uh, pineapple and papaya, um, which is sort of what you want, believe it or not. Um, what distinguishes the robust porter style from the English style of porter is um, that uh, English hop character, which means a lot of tropical fruits, grapefruit even. Um, so you kind of expect to see that. And I know that may sound weird to how it mixes with the roast, but it actually sort of works, believe it or not. I think it works pretty well here. It's it's a quite fruity beer on the nose. Um, but yeah, a little bit of, of roast coffee. Uh, it smells really good. I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, Taste-wise, um, so it's 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 um, pretty sweet up front. You get a lot of kind of sweet chocolate, some coffee notes. Um, I will say the bitterness is pretty low. Um, so for this style, you want it to be pretty bitter. Um, that's sort of a hallmark of the American style of the porter, and uh, quite roasty. Uh, and it, there's some roast there, but I'm not sure if it's enough. You'll know when it's roasty enough is it'll finish with a, kind of that dryness, kind of that roasty component. It'll kind of go and sort of last on the palate. I don't really get that with this one. Um, it, it's it's pretty sweet. According to the guidelines, um, this style can be kind of sweet. Um, so it has a pretty wide range about whether you know it can be very dry or somewhat sweet. So this is definitely on the sweeter end. Um, 
This just adds, adds to my confusion, Nick. Like, I, I literally like like the sweetness and the body of it. I'm like, okay, like it just makes it feel. If I was tasting it blind, wouldn't know if it was a stout or not. Like, I, I would call this a stout, and I can see the point when you're entering. This is some of the things that make homebrewers crazy when they're entering competition, when they're trying to figure this stuff out. Because you're reading these two things, you're tasting a beer side by side, and you're like, man, this could be a porter. Wait, this could be a stout. Uh, for those that are uh, you know, thinking about this, um, more stouts are entered in competition than porter. So if you want to increase your chances... Throw it in the porter category because chances are you've got less competition in there. Uh, that's just an insider um, tip for you. Or you, know, you could enter in both categories. Um, that's all that people can do, and you know, no one will ever know. Um, so, I mean, if you're interested in sort of trying to discern between the two styles, I would highly encourage you to look at sort of the um, example beers in the style guidelines. Um, maybe buy a couple and do them side by side. It's really great if you can get the same brewery um, that does a porter and a stout. Um, you can really be able to kind of pick out nuances between the two. I know first thing that comes to mind is Sierra Nevada. I don't know if they still do a porter and a stout, but if they do, um, those are two that are really good to kind of pull apart American style. I mean, they are both of them are classic um, American stout, American porter from both those breweries. Well, and if I remember correctly, because I, I was a big fan of both of those beers. Um, there were some pretty discernible differences between oh, yeah. the two of them. Like yeah. If I had them side by side, like the body and texture of the stout was significantly different than in the Porter. The Porter was actually an easier drinking beer that had some of those uh, malt and roast components where the stout was, I think you said this earlier, more assertive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. And that, that kind of fits with the style guidelines to be quite honest. Um, so yeah, I think the beer is, is quite tasty. Again, you get sort of the the roast elements, the malt. Um, again, I, I I don't get much bitterness. I don't get much of the hop flavor too, which is um, which is too bad. Those are sort of hallmarks of the style and distinguishes it from um, again the, the English style and even the, the American stout to a certain degree. Um, and the finish, the finish is um, also fairly sweet. You don't kind of get that roastiness, that dryness. Um, that, that could kind of go in the finish, um, which again is a little bit disappointing for me. I don't know if it's due to a recipe design or maybe it finished a little high in gravity. It's kind of hard to say. Um, one thing I really like about the beer is its mouthfeel. Mouthfeel is really good on this one, um, medium, medium full mouthfeel. And um, I think as as you point out, Marco, um, a good carbonation on uh, on this one. I think um, there's a nice head, and I think it's at a really good level. Um, so overall, I think it's a, a really good. Um, example style. I don't really get any kind of uh, uh, faults in it, um, but there are some things that could be improved upon a, a little bit. Could I, could I build upon my take on a porter? Not to give any two cents, but this at all. Take what, a step aside, Nick. Let let TJ speak. I can't wait to hear it. One thing that I've read a lot about is is porters focus more on. Um, the chocolate and the caramel malts, and they're heavy on those two, and they kind of they they kind of meld together to get this like more decadent dessert like character. I feel, and um, that's that's when I when I develop my porter recipes, I focus on different caramel malts and focus on different chocolate malts like pale chocolates and in the darker chocolates and kind of try to 
just make that network of flavors work together. Um, so not to give my two cents on this beer, but just on the style. I was waiting for some, something way more zany than that. You, you just, you totally let me down. I was expecting like <laughs> some euphoric, uh, you know, orgasmic experience you had with porters and, uh, you know, I, I was I was built way up, and I just came crashing down. Sorry, Marco. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, after we're talking about rubbing beards together, you know, I figured we would just go all in. All right. So, uh, Nick, you want to give a, a few just tips for improvement for the brewer that's listening to this? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really depends on uh, what their final gravity is, and maybe their yeast, um, as well as their recipe. Um, overall, I would like to see a little bit more roast, a little bit more dryness in the finish. Um, that could be accomplished by a different yeast strain. Make sure you have ye- good uh, fermentation uh, that's finishing uh, where it needs to finish, which um, I will look real quickly. Final gravity should be uh, 10, 12 to 10, 18. Um, this tastes sweeter than that, but again, that could be due to um, lack of roast and most importantly, um, lack of bitterness. Uh, I really don't find this beer bitter at all. So IBU should be 25 to 50 for this style. Uh, there's, I'd be very surprised if they're, if they're, um, close to that. It's definitely on the low end. Um, I would like to see some more bitterness, uh, in this one. Um, and I, I do get some hot flavor in the nose. I don't get it much in the taste. Um, so that might help uh, quite a bit as well. Um, overall, I, I think it's, it's a really good beer. Um, just needs some improvement. So if I was going to give it a final score, um, to me, it's probably a 34. Pretty good. I, I almost feel like there's uh, some unfermentable sugar in there too, as because um, the the sweetness that I was getting from it, I, I don't know that is it's totally malt sweetness. Maybe you think it might be milk sugar or maltodextrin or something like that. Like, I feel like it's something that's enhancing the sweetness. Yeah, it's definitely there. And, and you know, milk sugar or maltodextrin can definitely kind of um, put a blanket over that roastiness. Um, it really can kind of kind of fade it out. So um, what surprised me, I don't know, like milk sugar, I can usually pick out fairly well, although I've had your cream meal that you put milk sugar into unbeknownst to me and I wasn't able to pick it out. So um, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I should have kept my goddamn mouth shut on that one. But, um, you know, I, I've heard rumors of folks uh, doing things with milk sugar to after the fact to help balance their beers. Mm. Um, you know, maybe sneak peek into future oh, uh, podcast episodes. But um, so I don't know if that's the case here, but it it the sweetness just doesn't feel like a roasted malt or a barley sweetness it feels like it's a little something extra but 34 is a pretty respectable score for sure yeah i think yeah like i said overall i think it's a good beer it is minor improvements which um is sort of in that 30 to 38 range so it's a very good beer awesome all right well if you'd like what you've uh, been hearing on our show hit that subscribe button or follow button on your podcast service it'd be great if you can leave us some reviews and comments and if you have any ideas or feedback for us dm us on social media uh on instagram at strike mash boil or join our conversation in our facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash mvhbc we'd really love to hear from you
All right, at the top of the show, we talked through how we made it through 2020 as homebrewers and as a homebrew club. And as we look into 2021, let's talk about our goals and plans for the year. And after 2020, uh, we all know goals and plans will change at a moment's notice, but it's always good to try. Yeah, guys, so we we talked a lot about some of our reflections for uh, 2020. And, and I think what is always important, and, and TJ and I have been doing this since we've become president and vice president, we, at the beginning of each year, uh, just start have this sort of off-the-cuff organic conversation of what do we want to do this year? What are some of the things that we're hoping to to do a little bit different? We try to predict some turnover we might have with membership. We talk about meeting structure. We talk about some additional events that we'd like to layer in there. We talk about our comp and we talk about, um, you know, Big Brew Day and, and any other things that we're trying to, as a club, uh, more holistically uh, try to accomplish. So I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to do that um, with this group, which is, you know, basically our core leadership group for the club. Uh, so joining me, obviously we have Phil, but but the doc is with us and TJ is with us. Um, so guys, uh, you know, the, the first thing for me that I wanted to kind of throw out um, for you guys. And, and we led off the 2020 conversation about our, um, you know, reflections with our disappointment in the competition. And so I, I want to kick off this conversation to talk specifically about our comp. Uh, and I haven't shared with you guys any of the things that have been in my head. So this is, everybody's going to get like this real organic, genuine conversation. But uh, the first thing is, and, and Nick actually alluded to this, is when we do our competition. And we've toyed with this idea of timing for the comp, and we, we've actually flirted with the idea of doing it in the spring. It's been in July every year, and it's been a challenge with the 4th of July and vacations and getting judges. And a, a big objective for me is to uh, really push our competition to um, – Again, TJ is going to have some some pavultations here. I'd like to see us hit a, get a competition that we can hit 500 entries, uh, and I, I think we increase our chances to be able to get to a 500 entry competition uh, with the amount of judges we need, the space that we need, the planning and organization that we need if we do it later in the year. Uh, so I'd love to see us do um, a. Um, either late September or early October competition uh, for Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club with a target of trying to get to 500 entries. And so, TJ, I, I can see the the stress bubbles, uh, you know, the veins popping in your forehead right now. So, thoughts on that right out of the gate. So, so my thoughts on 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 the fall uh, are some of the stressors I have during the summer are how do you keep this beer cold? You, you know what I mean? You don't want to do it. Just you, you don't want to do a disservice to the people that are uh, submitting their beer. So you want to take care of you it. Mean when it's pulled out of the fridge, right? Because we, we, we have a system of the place that we've done the competition the last couple of years. We have the walk-in cooler that it gets stored until it gets pulled out to a table. Yeah. 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 But, but during that, during that time where people are, are, are pulling those out and, 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 and serving it how do you how do you keep it cold or and when it's delivered on site you want it a good temperature right you don't want you 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 know people's basements in the fall are going to be a lot cooler a lot better temperature for beer than they are in july um so so that is definitely a positive uh then 
the 500 would be tough. We'd probably have to go to multiple days and, uh, that, that would, that would be fine with me as long as we have the resources, the amount of judges we have to do a multiple day event, similar to other, uh, uh, homebrew clubs in the area that do, uh, competitions that size. Uh, it you know once you do one it's you just kind of adapt it to 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 grow right so every year we kind of aim to grow and we have we, we have grown quite a bit marco um i've been running the comp i've been a part of the comp for many years now i think i've been running it the last three maybe uh, that we've had uh when two years ago we um hit our largest um entry count since we've been doing our competition yeah ever. Uh, yeah and um and we weren't i mean i mean it's still a, a big leap but i think if i remember correctly we're at about 340 entries 330 entries was uh, our record and um it I'm, a, it's only 170 more tj it was the smoothest competition we had though yep. Sure, I will exactly. say it was it was a hundred percent the smoothest, and and multiple judges came up to me during that competition and was and was like, "You did an awesome job running this competition. Like, it's not a shit show. It's organized, and I'm, I, it 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 contributes to my stress before that competition of making sure things are in line. When they don't go in line, you you could tell when I'm scrambling, something goes wrong. You know it because TJ is sweating bullets and yelling at people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I think we could definitely pull it off. Um, my big goal in over the next year is to get more of our, um, our, our including myself, uh, cause I'm the biggest, one that really needs to do this, but... that thought, that's one of my other objectives so i know where you're going with that uh so to hold that thought for a second okay. nick uh, i mean any thoughts out of the gate with uh pushing our competition back and and getting it to 500 entries yeah i mean i i you know i touched upon this uh before but um I think moving it to September would be really beneficial. I mean, here in New England, we'd be up against um, only the the big New England homebrew competition, which happens, which is mostly a New Hampshire competition, but it encompasses all of New, of, uh, New England. That's always in October. As far as I, I'm aware, there's no other ones in September. So we'd sort of be leading up to that one. And that's it until the spring, I think, at least here in New England, um, at least the big competitions. There may be one or two in Maine that I'm not aware of. So I think it's a really good idea to move to September. I think it's a great time. Um, the fall is always a good time to have a, a competition. And um, I think we'd get a lot of interested people. Um, as TJ has touched upon, we definitely have to move it to multiple days. Um, we'd have to do something like what Rhode Island does. So Rhode Island, um, their competition is in the spring, and it's probably the largest one in New England. Uh, they always do around close to 500 entries. Um I don't know if they've hit 500. 500 is a big goal, Marco. I'm not going to lie to you. That's that's pretty lofty. Um, if we're going to try and aim for that, um, I would suggest talking to some people from um, the Rhode Island group, uh, Ribs, about um, their strategies and how they do it. Um, I have it in on with uh, Jennifer Pereira, um, who's deeply involved with um, that club, and she's ran the competition a couple of years. So I could definitely talk to her, get some insight, because it's something that we've never tried to do before. I mean, we run our competition and we sort of know how many entries we're going to get. And, um, it's usually in a 
you know, what, two to 300 every year and it works out pretty well. But once you get up to 500, you definitely got to start doing multiple days. You need to start using software. I mean, we were, we do stuff very uh, rudimentary, old school. You wouldn't be able to do that with that many entries. Um, you'd have to have a system in place. So there's logistics we'd have to talk about. Um, but I think it's a worthy challenge. I mean, you know, fuck it. Fuck this year, 2021, have lofty goals. Why not, man? I mean, what's even if you get less than 500, if you strive for that, I mean, just go for it, you know? Yeah, and I, you know, um, a part of what has me thinking about it is uh, the, the ribs competition specifically because they, they put it on and I, I've heard some, you know, mixed reviews of the competition that they put on, uh, you know, where they've, they've done some things really well and they've had some challenges. And I think that we could put on a really organized uh, competition uh, that really increases the exposure to some folks out there, but also um, gives our club the opportunity. Because, uh, you know, if you go onto our website and you take a look at past competition results, you'll see Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, when we go into competition, we show up. And, um, you know, we, we place uh, our, our brewers, uh, you know, put their best foot forward and we get really great um, results from it. And, uh, you know, no better way to challenge our folks than to really increase uh, the, the folks that they go up against. Uh, but, you know, to that end, and TJ was starting to go down this path. And the other thing that I'd really love to see, and Nick, you and I have talked sort of off and on about this, is I'd love, and I know that this takes time, but I'd love to create the path for BJCP certification in our club uh, where we're able to, because I mean, ultimately, uh, this is not a 2021 goal because I don't, we, we couldn't get there. But ultimately, I'd love to see us primarily put on our competition and be self-dependent. Uh, to be able to have most of our tables judged by certified judges that are in our club uh, where we're not having to scramble to find people to, uh, uh, you know, to judge our competition. And, uh, and there are uh, some great resources out there to educate and teach folks. And I'd love to see us have uh, the structure within our club. We need a BJCP certified uh, individual to help lead that effort. <laughs> hint, uh, hint, hint. Um, and, but I'd love to, that, that's something that I, is a goal for me uh, is to at least lay out uh, the foundation and the framework for us to be able to get that process going in the club. Yeah. I mean, you know, TJ can talk a little bit about this, but um one of the biggest challenges with our competition always has been is uh, getting enough judges. It, it's, it's, and I would suspect it's probably the hardest thing for any competition is getting um, a proper amount of judges. And what I mean by that, for people who don't know, you generally, when you, you judge beers and tables and flights, and you generally want to have at least one judge on the table who is BJCP certified or recognized or has done the test at least. And believe it or not, that's really hard to do. Uh, there's not that many, and those that are, are busy with their lives, and they don't have time to spend an entire weekend uh, judging beers at a local competition. So it's always a challenge. I think what Marco's sort of alluding to is trying to get more people in our club um, taking the test and certified, which is um, it's not a small task uh, for anyone who's looked into it. Um, BJCP isn't as simple as filling out one form and all of a sudden you can judge. Um, it's a pretty intense 
judging uh, tests you have to take, and um, there's a lot to it. Uh, I recently took the exam again to try and become a, a master judge um, way back in August, um, and yeah, it, it was studied for months, uh, and it's 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 tough. It's you have to be committed, and it's I think it's a really good goal for 2021 for sure. Um, I know I've I've said this in the past about doing it, but um, I had excuses of uh, having a kid and whatnot, which kind of took all of my time away. So um, I think it's a it's a good idea, and I think it would go a long ways in helping us to kind of meet that goal of uh, 500 entries if, if, if we can make it. Anybody else have thoughts on that? Oh. I have a goal. So so just talking about 2020 and, and, and the challenges we've had, I've realized that I've kind of put aside some of my own hobbies to kind of brew the last you know, few, few years, 10, 11, 12, whatever it's been. And the pandemic has kind of had me pick up my guitar a little bit and, uh, or maybe a lot of bit and, and kind of get back into that oh. hobby. Is this, are we, are we proposing the club band thing again? Is this, is yeah, this let's what... get the band together? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm pumped this year for the jamboree and I just, I, I I hope it happens, and I if it does, I'm gonna be uh, pantsless on stage <laughs> with my guitar. So let's wear, uh, wear speedo. Let's tell our uh, listeners what the jamboree is. I'll let Marco talk about the jamboree. Okay. Yeah, so the New England Homebrewer Jamboree, which how many years has it been now? Is it twenty years that they've been doing I, that thing? I think I think the last one we went to was the twentieth. I think, um, or twenty fifth, maybe. Yeah. So it's um, it's basically a um, you know anybody who's gone to a craft beer festival, it's a craft beer festival that takes place um, in Tamworth, New Hampshire, at the Tamworth Campground, but it's all homebrew homebrewers, uh, homebrew clubs that put on the festival. Um, so it. Um, it's sponsored by make a wish, uh, any of the purchase tickets to get into the festival are, um, you know, the proceeds are donated to make a wish, but it's essentially the exact same thing. You show up to the campground, you've got all these booths set up and, and some clubs do some pretty wild things there and folks are pouring beers and you're filling your glass and walking around and there's food trucks and, uh, pizza trailers. And it's just a really cool, um, beer festival that is, I'd say probably less pretentious than some of the craft professional brewery ones because uh, people are just excited to share a beer that they otherwise probably wouldn't be able to. Um, and they're probably looking more for feedback than anything else. So they're they're just excited to have you try their beer and tell uh, tell them what you think about it. Uh, so it's just a, a really cool in, environment uh, with some really great beers, some really terrible beers, but some really great ones too. And, and uh, live but, music. And live music and and really good food, a big bonfire, camping. Uh, oh. it's, a, it's a really, really cool event. Um, yeah, so that brings me to um, uh, one of my other things that I, I'm I'm really focused on for 2021, and that's club appearances. Now this is going to be obviously really dependent on um you know how how things shake out with the pandemic. We're not getting together as a group um until 
March at the earliest. We mentioned that earlier, uh, but I'd love to see the club. Uh, we, we typically do two club appearances a year. Um, and that is Warped Pours, which is more of a recent phenomenon. And then uh, the New England Homebrewers Jamboree uh, that we mentioned. One of them happens in September. The other one's in June. Oh, June? June. June. Yeah, in June. Um, so I'd love to see the club uh, bump up to uh, five appearances in the year of 2021. 20- um, and, uh, what I'm, what I'm looking for us to do is those same two events, but I, I'm really looking for us to target, uh, three other events that we can make an appearance as a club and a really lofty objective for us, uh, is maybe, uh, setting up, uh, some preliminary infrastructure for this and targeting 2022. Uh, but there's no homebrew club festival in Massachusetts, and I'd love for Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club to be the pioneers of bringing a homebrew club festival to Massachusetts. Uh, and so I don't think that happens in 2021. Uh, but I think what we, by us increasing um, our exposure and getting ourselves out there by making more club group appearances, and, and we have to figure out what those events are. They, they need to be really specific and, and targeted. Um, I think by... Um, creating a little bit more uh, validity to us as a group, to the general public, opens up the possibility that we'll be able to um, come up with an event that could be well-received by two really important parties, the general public and municipal parties, uh, because those are two obstacles that we'll need to overcome to do something like that. Um, So again, looking for not just the uh, members getting out there and visiting breweries, but club-sanctioned events that we specifically make um, appearances at. I'd like to see us do five of them this year. Does that make anybody nervous? Uh, very, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, because leaving. of the pandemic? I'm not leaving this room. <laughs> <laughs> Still early. Still early. Still early. One, one suggestion, Mark, if you haven't thought about it. I mean, something that we've done once before and never really – followed up on is um, we did sort of an educational session at a library once, and yep. I, I think it was a great opportunity to connect with the general public as well as sort of educate people who are interested in, in homebrewing. Um, I would like to do something like that again. I mean, I, I, I mean, I participated, but I didn't really help organize. So I don't know how much work it went into it, um, but I think that's a, that's a good way to kind of put ourselves out there a little bit more. Um, again, you know, with, 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 the pandemic, I mean, I don't know if libraries are going to be open to that or people are going to be okay with, you know, doing all that, but um, maybe later in the year. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I think that's, that's at least an idea uh, for the future. Yeah, that was an awesome event that we we uh, put together. And it honestly wasn't that much work. I mean, there was some organiz- or organizing that had happened because it was four of us. And we probably would modify what we did before. Like, we had a whole brew session that happened outside. Like, it was... Uh, we probably would change, tweak a couple things, but yeah, that's an example of, um, I'd say the low hanging fruit of being able to do an appearance is through education. Um, the homebrew hobby, uh, is as popular as it's been. Um, and I think that, um, our opportunity to, to get in front of people that are interested in, um, you know, learning the basics or getting some more advanced advice, uh, I think that's a, a great way to to get ourselves out there. And I'd love to see us do um, a couple more things like that. 
Uh, we did that test run. It was it was super successful. I can't tell you how many times Chelmsford uh, Public Library, who's the ones we did it with, um, asked us to come back and do it again. They loved it. They thought it was great. And I mean, for those who are listening to this, if you are part of the club and you're looking for ways to connect with the community, it, this, that's a great opportunity. Um, reaching out to libraries or community centers. There's a lot of opportunities to kind of um, put your club out there and, and do some education if that's something you're interested in. Um, you know, it was great for us. Um, you know, it was great for the library. And if you're looking for new members or new connections, I mean, it's 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 great. It's it's win-win for everyone. So we obviously have some of the basic things that we'll continue to do. Um, you know, we'll continue to have our meetings every month, uh, whether it's a public meeting that we do twice a year or our private meetings at members' houses. Um, we'll do our impromptu brewery visits. Um, we'll, I, I want to do some more outdoor stuff like hikes. Um, we did one of those and it was really great. I'd like to see us do that again. Um, so I want to you know, still have a planful year for those types of things um, and not be um, you know, we, we did test out the style of the month um, model for our meetings for a while. I don't think we'll go back to that. So we'll kind of play with what that looks like a little bit. Uh, but I am curious um, from you guys, if there's anything that you guys have been thinking about. And Phil, you've been really quiet during this segment. So I, I got to hear something from Phil. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear from you guys if you know, I threw some things out there. I've got one other thing that I'm going to toss out there and kind of get your perspective on. Uh, but any any um, goals or, or, or objectives you guys have that you've been thinking about for the club for this year? You know, <clears throat> we do our uh, historically we've done uh, brewery visits a couple times a year, and um, those are those are always a good time and, and really enjoy them. But um, over the last couple of years, there's been a growth of um, maltsters and uh, hop farms here in New England, and I'd really love to see um, the that that brewery outing. You know, we all go to breweries all the damn time, and as much as I love all you guys, I usually end up going to breweries with all you guys or some variant of. So I'd love to be able to get out to Stonepath Malt or to Four Star Farms, or um, there's a couple hop farms up in in maine and maybe make a long weekend out of it whether it's at a campground or something like that um and again continue that growth of education and, and do something a little different um but something that still involves beer of course and and hops and and malt are are easy ones and um stone path is in waltham and four star farms i think is out like the amherst direction so it's uh um, those are easy uh easy trips for us um we came close with four star this year but then of course everything went to um this past year everything went to shit um so i think that you know one of our members uh, tim lausen has established a pretty decent relationship with those guys so i'm hoping that uh this year we'll be able to make it out to them but they may have their brewery open by then too so we can maybe do both at once there there you go Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, and and I, I love the idea of, because I think it furthers education, right? Understanding, um, you know, where our ingredients come from, uh, how they're cultivated, how they're harvested, how they're produced, how we get to the product that we use. I think that education helps you become a better brewer. So I love that idea. Anything else you guys have been thinking about? I want to bring back beard touching and butt grabbing. 
<laughs> I think a lot of that happens at your house, TJ. That's I not, know, but not funny, it's just he, TJ's looking for the the firmer ass to grab onto. <laughs> Some man. It's good. Um, good game. But what do you guys? So the, the other thing that I've been curious about, and I don't actually have a perspective, so I'm going to solicit it from you guys. Is, um membership count how are you guys feeling we we currently have a cap of 40 um we we're basically there uh don't anticipate any significant turnover um, that we'll have next month but just curious how you guys are feeling about how many folks are in the club if if we're right sized especially thinking about how things have developed. We now have this podcast, um, how we've gotten tons of exposure. Are we at the right place or do we think we need to make a change? For member size, it's more about logistics than anything. I mean, regardless about how we feel, um, whenever you get above a certain threshold and you you have as many participating members that come to meetings like we do, um, we're lucky in the sense that there are many clubs that have hundreds of members and yet every meeting they have maybe what, 20. So for us, um, we kind of expect if you're going to be in the club that we like you. Um, and I think Marcos talked about this, but we have sort of a, a vetting procedure where we make sure that they're going to fit in with our club and they're going to participate more than anything. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? Um, once you get above a certain threshold, it's really difficult to have meetings in houses anymore, um, unless it's you know a special place that you have a lot of room. So um, I, I'm. Me personally, I think forty is the perfect amount, and I wouldn't go. Forty the threshold. Yeah, I mean that that that's it for me because I think that equals what, fifteen to twenty people a meeting maybe, um, which is really really good to be quite honest in my experience with different other homebrew clubs. Um, I wouldn't go much above that. Um, I, I I certainly think I'd have trouble hosting unless it was like a nice day. We could be outside at my house um, if we were above that. Yeah, I agree. My my house is tiny. Uh, so totally agree with Nick. One of the reasons why I love this group so much is, is because of the, the home style meetings we have, like the, you, you know, you're going to come to TJ's house. He's going to make Indian or Italian or whatever he's going to pull up and you're going to, you're going to be fed. Well, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be taken care of. And that's, that's what I really love because I kind of fostered that for all of you. And I think it kind of, it, it, it kind of perpetuated it into other people doing it. Now it's just becoming a thing and everybody wants to make the next best meal and you're never going to beat me, but <laughs> you know, all, all, all these people that are, um, all the folks that are listening to our podcast that are saying, oh my God, there's going to be spaces. I'm going to be able to join the club. You guys just shattered their dreams. Uh, not, there's no you know, no space for you is what you guys have just said. Marco, I think you're kidding yourself. Nobody's listening to this right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> At least the members of our club. Well, no, not even all of them. Maybe, no, maybe the members not even all of them listen to I haven't listened to any of them. <laughs> what a see you next Tuesday you are. <laughs> You know, I, one of the um, things that drew me to the club uh, was the the smaller size, but also that um, uh, interaction level. So while the club was uh, smaller than some of the others, like that Boston one, and and um, uh, there's there's uh, one over on the North Shore, it was the interaction level, and it wasn't just uh, 
you know, some of clubs are a bit more of like a social club. This one was, uh, got true feedback on my beer. Um, people are interested in collaborations, uh, growing as brewers, helping other brewers, not just shitting on your beer, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the interaction level that I really enjoy. And if we got above in a meeting more than say 25 ish people, which is more than what these guys have said, but if we got above more than 25 people, it's going to be hard to have um, personal connections with everybody. In our meetings, you show up and after two or three meetings, you, you know, if somebody's new or whatever, they know everybody's name because it's, it's such a, a small group. And, you know, while maybe not everybody attends every single meeting, we're all there often enough when new guy Mike walks in the door, though new guy Mike isn't new guy Mike anymore. We got new guy Matt who just joined our club. Um, but we, we know who they are and that's great. It's not like some stranger walks in the door and is like, Hey, I'm a member of the club. Uh, who are you again? The, the other negative to that Marco is the fact that how long is it going to take to pour freaking beer? Like I'm going to be hmm. fucking thirsty. Yeah. But, but how, how many beers are I going to have to bring? If, if we get, if we get upwards of a hundred, you're going to have to bring, you know, a few growlers of beer to, to, to give to give you to just, the crowd. You just won't be able to do that anymore. That's the yeah. reality. No, no, the reality is, is instead of TJ bringing 16 beers, two bottles each of them, he's going to have to bring four and four bottles each. Like, <laughs> like you're, just, you're just not going to be able to empty your cellar and dump it on the club every <laughs> meeting. Uh, or you're going to be rolling in with a uh, uh, keg of beer on a golf caddy and wheeling it around to everybody. But I think what sets us apart is... The fact that, like, Phil, I remember the first time I met you, you were invited to the the original president's house, Matt Savage's house, before you even were a member. That's how we vetted you back then, is you came to the house, and I got to try your beers. You got to try our beers. And, and, and you can't get that kind of experience if you're that big. You, you know, Marco is not going to be able to – invite you know 40 more guys over his house to 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 kind of get vetted yeah Uh, well i i think that um so somebody had had put this in in uh had made this suggestion to me um a while ago and i don't think they did with the intent of wanting to double the size of the club but i think they wanted to see a few more people and what what I, i i happen to agree with you guys i'm in the same place and i think uh, to be fair with conversations like this and what's important is to get your perspective uh, because it's not a dictatorship, despite what some might say. I do like to get input from you guys before we decide things. Um, but um, what what I think the best part of our club is the most, um, you know, I said this earlier, uh, come for the beer, stay for the people, is the engagement we have in the club. We have 40 members and we have 40 members that are active and engage with the group. Uh, and they may not come to all the meetings. That's not what, it, well, that's not what engagement is, but they're uh, on Facebook, have part of the conversation, sharing, providing feedback, uh, just part of the, the day-to-day discussion. I think that is the magic that our club has. I personally, I don't think that if we bumped our limits to 50, that that would change too much. I told you guys from the very beginning, I was never interested in having, uh, a club that was a hundred members. That's just not the thing that I wanted. Uh, but, 
but I'm, I'm glad you guys share a similar sentiment to me. I wasn't sure if uh, the person that planted it in my ear was uh, playing the, the backdoor political game and work in the group. So I was curious what you guys thought about that. Maybe we still are. Yeah, maybe yeah, the, the coup is out. I'm really paranoid about the coup, you know, I'm just really worried about it. Uh, all right, guys, uh, this went a lot longer than we probably planned. Um, but uh, I think it's good context. People kind of get a sense of how we think about uh, the club and some of the discussion that we have as we're getting ourselves set up. It's not as detailed as we normally do it because obviously uh, that would get really boring really fast. But uh, but I, I appreciate you guys taking the time, sharing your perspective, uh, listening to my lofty goals, uh, and really looking forward to uh, 2021 and, and what we're going to be able to accomplish this year. So guys, I appreciate the time. Thanks. Definitely. Cheers. All right, guys. So uh, thanks for joining us this week. Hopefully uh, this new year works out a little better than last year. Uh, and to you, our listeners, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button or follow button. Uh, and we'll see you next time on Strike Mash Boil. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MVHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at MVHBC.com. Did I say 2021 twi- twice there? I don't know. Did I? I didn't catch no. it if you did. No, well, you, you did. In the, in the beginning, you said we made it. Oh, you said you made it to 2021. Yeah. All right. And go, Marco. <laughs>